hello bonnets playthings before you listen to the final final episode of this season of the gay pirate podcast i want to let you know that jesse and i made a little gift for you to help tide you over tide lol uh until season two because we put together playlists for steed bonnet edward teach and izzy hands that you can listen to on spotify and they're really great we spent so much time making these perfect and we're really proud of them so those are linked in the show notes i hope you all enjoy them as much as we enjoyed making them and with that Avast, ye, and welcome to the actual final episode of season <laughs> one of the Gay Pirate Podcast. I'm Lark Malachi Gray, and I am a Namby Pamby in a silk dressing gown pining for his boyfriend. And I'm Jesse Blount. Unhand me or bleed. <laughs> yep. And today people actually get the uh, description, which you didn't get last week. Sorry, everyone. That's how it goes with live shows. Yeah, this this usually takes a minute, so that's why we did without. So, today we are talking about episode 10, Wherever You Go, There You Are, in which uh, Mary is living her best widow life out here, chilling with her kids and inventing literally eight different art styles, and chilling with the, like, coolest ladies ever, when Steed rolls up into her life after abandoning her for, like, six months. It is the worst because Steed is the worst husband for Mary. And the kids are like, fuck you, dad. Understandably. Yep. On the revenge, Izzy is trying to pretend everything is fine with Ed, which is a complete lie. Meanwhile, somehow Jim has slipped aboard the ship when no one was looking, and they reunite with Olawande with, ki- with kisses and sexy times. Woohoo! Um, at the Bonnet Residence, Mary is showing Steed the barn where she, she converted into a painting studio, and we meet Doug, Mary's painting instructor, who Steed is immediately an asshole to. On the revenge, Ed is really not taking this breakup well. The stateroom is a mess, all the curtains are drawn, and he's constructed a sadness blanket fort, wearing Steed's tropical bird robe and eating marmalade. Ed, in true lesbian fashion, has turned to singing to songwriting his breakup feelings, and Lucius does not get paid enough for this, but writes him down anyway, along with some bonus therapy because he's such a good, empathetic person, and Ed is a fucking mess right now. Meanwhile, speaking of people who need therapy, Steed notices that Mary has painted him out of the family portrait and ends up having a uh, drunken solo dinner with his petrified orange. A situation that reminds you that Steed created 100% out of his own actions. Drunk, he wanders out to find Mary and discovers what we all knew immediately, that she's fucking Doug and having the time of her life doing it. Steed tries to bring this up over breakfast, but Mary is having none of this and puts him in his fucking place. Lucius walks in on Jim and Olawande after they have reunited, and Edison embraces the singer-songwriter vibe by singing for the whole crew, to everyone's confusion. But Ed proposes a talent show, which everyone is very into, except one Izzy Hands who hates fun. <laughs> Back on Barbados, Mary is setting up for an art show and is complaining about Steed when her friend, Bad Bitch Evelyn, is like, just kill him. Who's going to know? Literally no one. At the same time, Steed's at the bar with some other noblemen who want Steed to regale them with his pirate tales. On the revenge, Izzy has had enough 
of all of whatever fuck Ed is going through, taunting and threatening this softer baby girl Ed because he desperately, desperately wants to be topped by Blackbeard. Meanwhile, Mary's show is going good until a wasted ass steed bonnet rolls in, belligerent as fuck, about the whole widow thing and threatens Doug with a butter knife. Later, he sarcastically forgives, quote unquote, her for fucking Doug as if he has not had a whole ass emotional relationship with Ed this whole fucking time. So Mary plans to kill him, but hesitates long enough that Steed wakes up. They have a heart to heart and Steed finally, finally, finally realizes that he's in love with Ed romantic style. Speaking of Ed, Ed is coping with all of this by literally and figuratively getting rid of all the vulnerable parts of himself, which unfortunately includes throwing Lucius overboard before cloaking himself even tighter in the mantle of the Kraken. He even gives resident masochist Izzy a little gift by cutting off his pinky toe and making him eat it. Nearly all of Steed's stuff ends up in the ocean. Back at the Bonnet residence, Steed wakes Murray up by telling him that he solved the problem of how they can get, go back to their respective lives with a little bit of fuckery. They just need a corpse. Good thing Mary knows the Undertaker, a.k.a. our favorite tall, blonde, and handsome uh, widow Evelyn, who just happens to own, also, a fucking leopard. Because why not? Out at sea, Izzy has nearly all of the Revenge crew on a rock of an island for the talent show. And back in the boat, Ed is offering Jim and Frenchie a job. Well, not so much offering as kind of kidnapping them both. In Mary's workshop, the kids are helping Steve with the fuckery, and Alma gives Steed half the orange, keeping the other half in a final mending of their relationship. <clears throat> in, in whatever town they live near, we see what Steed has planned, which is to fake his own death in the town square by, in order, being attacked by a juggle cat, run over by a carriage, and then having a piano fall on him. On this rock, in this rock in the middle of the sea, the revenge crew is getting suspicious, especially when they see the revenge sail away. Steed, fuckery pulled off, is on his way to the coast to find his beloved while Mary eulogizes him. Ed, meanwhile, is sailing away with his new flag, the demon skeleton now stabbing a heart. But what's this? The lighthouse painting remains, and so does Ed's feelings as we see him sobbing alone in bed. In our very last scene of season one, the abandoned crew are ready to resort to catamalism, or at least Buttons and Roach are, so it's a really good thing that Ola Wande spies Steed in his dinghy rowing up to them. Yes. Okay, everyone. This is your final... I mean, it's not. You can rate and review us whenever the heck you want. This podcast will be here <laughs> waiting. You know, we'll be back whenever season two comes out. But like... You should go rate and review us. It's been like a couple of weeks since we've gotten a new review and my um, dopamine levels are low. So please go tell me how much you like me publicly on the internet for everyone to see. Thank you. Um, also, if you want to support us, we will be celebrating Hot Pirate Summer through the end of Hot Pirate Summer. Uh, we've got two movie watches coming up. I'm reading you The Princess Bride. Piratey, piratey stuff happening patreon fun (laughs) (laughs) i'm doing a really good job my notes are wrong so this is what happens when i ad lib um we have great merch in our shop it's all hot we have a lot of hot pirates on our merch it's not whatever look i'm doing a terrible job focus lark if you're watching this video 
this is mirrored so you can't read it but it says throw your parents to the kraken and it's a kraken holding holding banners and it's really cute and i drew it and you should buy it in our shop what else we're on social media at the gaily prophet instagram twitter we make other podcasts look at the show notes find all the things we're also on youtube <laughs> yeah we're on youtube you can watch us do this if you want to also through the end of hot pirate summer you can still watch the replay of our live show it's uh for sale it's available in our shop as well so cool fun stuff thanks everyone let's go talk it through as a crew where we talk about everything that doesn't go anywhere else the delivery of awkwardness that the actor who plays izzy gives us when he's trying to like placate the crew who almost murdered him just moments ago but also like keep them busy because he's trying to keep ed's you know ennui a secret is like expert delivery it's so good yeah connor neal is an excellent actor and i i like honestly well i think the fandom would still uh, love him if he was if they if they had been cast differently but that actor like brings so much it's like so, like i in a lot of ways truly despise izzy but i find him very compelling i think 110 percent just because of the way that con o'neill plays him mm-hmm. so like he's doing so much and you can just like the sort of like tightly held control that izzy is always sort of vibrating with is just played out so well yeah agreed yeah i know that's maybe the only funny izzy point of this, <laughs> of this episode <laughs> Yeah, since we already covered the yes, Blackbeard in the uh, in the live show, I think you are correct. Um, okay, so we don't actually totally know how long Steed has been gone. I've just been like, lol, saying six months because like this is obviously a very loose timeline. But however long it is, it <laughs> is like I feel like not long enough for uh, Lewis to be like, "Who the fuck are you, to Steed?" Because. <laughs> Um, and it just, like, always makes me laugh to be like, no, Doug is my dad, not whoever this asshole is. I know. (laughs) I know, it's really good. It's really good. I imagine Mary just, like, erasing Steve from the house so thoroughly that this, like, befuddled five-year-old is just, like, basically being gaslit into being like, was there ever a man here? Besides Doug, I don't know. Yeah. Not intentional gaslighting on Mary's part, you know. Anyway. Yeah. I also want to talk about Steed's children because Alma is, like, one of the best, like, child characters. She has, like, two lines, but they're both such fucking zingers. <laughs> when Steed offers her the orange, she's like, I don't want your old food <laughs> storms away it's so good uh alma alma is excellent just yeah i know she's so great yeah mary's doing a really good job with her i mean she has an excellent uh lady role model in her life and all of the widows so true evelyn's definitely going to teach alma how to poison her husband if need be yeah, definitely <laughs> <sighs> All right, what do you have next? So, uh, 
Whatever little like sad piano music is playing when Ed is like at the front of the ship. I don't remember what the front of the ship is called. And he like lets go of the bit of silk that he's held on to for like 30 years. It just guts me every mm-hmm. time. I mean, the whole scene guts me, but like the like sad piano, I'm like, I can't take any more of this. Yeah. Yeah, it's really, really well done. Um, This is like a tender point, but I don't think it like is a rant. So I just want to talk about it. I think that Mary's description of what love is, is really great. And I, I've been sitting with like, why does this feel so different than kind of any other delivery of like love definitions in media? Mm-hmm. And just today, I think I landed on a theory, a hypothesis that it okay. is because this is a show about middle-aged people like it's about grown-ups and what grown-up love is does that feel true it does actually um yes and i think i and i i think you're correct because one of the things that me and nicole do in our free time to unwind is watch terrible like romance reality shows like reality like dating shows which is of course just full of heterosexual nonsense right but it's always so frustrating when it's like there are these folks on there who are like overwhelmingly just in between like is in their 20s right you know and they're just like you know oh well like you know oh well this guy like he just like, he seems really really nice but like i really just like this other hot mess of a person who is like a fuck boy and you know is like has like really like you know uh not super good emotional regulation that could just come from any number of things and possibly like drinks too much and i bet doesn't have like a sheet on his bed that's on the floor (laughs) and it's always so frustrating i'm just like he doesn't have to be like that you don't have to take this this dude who was a project you can quote unquote work on you can just it doesn't like you don't have to deal with that shit you can just get with someone who like is chill and has like a job that's not a dj or a like events promoter that's not a slight to people who do work in like the entertainment industry who are like DJs and event promoters, but part of that is often like your brand is to be sort of sometimes single and available and to like be out like partying until 4 a.m. and like with, you know, and being like really social with all these people. And if you're with someone who wants it, that's great. And if you're not with someone who just wants you to have like a nine to five and you come home and you're not flirting with like, you know, 80 people a night, like that's just, it's a values thing. But I feel like just because you find a lot more people who have those jobs that are younger than like who are, say, in their 50s. Right. Or like, or, you know, if you're in your 50s, you're like, I DJ a set, I have my drink, I go, you know. Right. And it's just like, I think the idea that a high drama, high intensity relationship, like, is somehow better than something that's just like a lot more chill and a lot more we can match each other our emotional beats together. Right. I think often can feel like it's something that you realize with age. Yeah. As opposed to like wanting something like super exciting, but like, like if I'm watching a reality show of 20 year olds who are like, 
oh well like he was mean to me but i can change him and he's just and i'm just like it does you don't have to be with someone who's mean to you right like you just you don't you can just not be with someone like that yeah i mean i think that yeah like media for young people about young people is very like love has being in love is like a big overwhelming sort of consuming kind of feeling which like being in crush is that but if you're being in lust also is is a lot like that yeah but like i and i i don't know i just don't think i've ever heard someone on tv in a movie whatever answer the question what is it like to be in love with it feels easy and i think that that's like if if I was now tasked with answering that question, I think that I would borrow that because like having like I, I, Evan and I started dating when I was 23 and I'm 35 now. And like my answer to that question at 23 and like my experience of like, what am I looking for out of this relationship emotionally was so different than now. And like, obviously I'm not middle-aged yet. I'm like hurtling there on the cannonball of time but like I am 12 years into a relationship and I'm like yeah it is it's so easy like it's just like feeling comfortable and being able to just like talk whenever about whatever and like feel heard and seen and listened to and like have fun it's super it's super easy it's great (laughs) yeah no I I wholeheartedly agree with that yeah yeah young people shoot for easy not consuming shoot for easy and like you like there's genuine affection between you like if you're with someone who is mean to you um or if you if you're someone who is unkind to you on a regular basis like chuck them trash sorry (laughs) like You, you don't stab you them don't, you... in the ear hole. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we're all gonna we're in the middle of two pandemics. Life is too short to deal with someone who is mean to you or who makes promises they break all the time or where it doesn't feel like, you know, a friendship almost. It just feels like a job, but not like a fun job, like a hobby job, like a job where you're like underpaid, but you're still somehow doing it because everyone says you should. Yeah. So Yeah, here, here. Maybe this did belong in the rant section. That's fine. What a great <laughs> conversation. <sighs> Sigh. Um, do you have anything else here? Uh, I just want to talk. I don't know if you have this about uh, everyone, the Revenge's crew's talent and outfits. Please, props. let's talk about this. Um, I just want to start off with Wee John has the drum that I'm pretty sure I mentioned Ola Wanda playing in the very first episode of this podcast. Yep. Maybe it's the communal drum. Maybe who knows, whatever. But we drum. We John is like music. This is my talent, and I'm like, I love that for him. Mm-hmm. And then whatever Black Pete's costume is doing, <laughs> doesn't he say that his talent is accents? Is that what he said? I'm pretty sure. Like <laughs> when they when they're talking about it at first, he says, "My talent is." I think I can do accents, something like that. And then he's wearing this costume. So I assume he's doing some sort of like Shakespearean accent. He's, he's, doing, he's doing a monologue. Or something. Yeah. 
I have no idea what Olawande is doing. What, that's on my list. Like he's like, it's like a real snake, just like jiggling this rope. <laughs> it, it looks like a giant cat toy. Is what yeah. it looks like. It's very funny. Oh my god, I want Olawande's talent to be. He's like moving this like cat toy around, and then like Jim like pins it with the knife. A couple's act. <laughs> yeah, they love that. seems like the type who would be like, we need to have a couple's co- costume. And Jim is like, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but also secretly into it. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. Uh... And then Roach thinks he can juggle. Do we know about... Oh, Buttons is <laughs> his delivery of emotions via pure tone. Which is one of the best things in this episode. Um, Do we know what the Swede's talent is? I feel like I have no idea. I imagine he was just going to sing, which... Oh, yeah, of course. He sings very well, so... Yeah, and he did gesture, like, emphatically toward Lucius when Ed offered Lucius his (laughs) services. (laughs) When Lucius is very much, like, trying to avoid his eyes. (laughs) Very funny. Uh... I don't know what good it would do an illiterate person to have their lyrics written down because they wouldn't be able to go back and reference them. Like someone would have to read them back to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think this way probably just wanted it for like the act of having it done. Yeah. It feels fancier if it's written down. Yeah, totally. I think my last thing is going to just be that I really love that when Ned is an escaped jungle cat, they didn't take his collar off. <laughs> Oh, it's like a, this like pink leather collar. It's like I love it. I know they're like, look out! It's so dangerous, and Dad's like, you know, just wandering around very clearly, a very lazy kept cat. It's great. I'm just, I'm just gonna assume that Evelyn does not socialize with people in town, so they have no idea that she just has this giant jungle cat in her house. Yeah, totally. Ah. <laughs> uh. Welcome to Crew of Imbeciles, where we talk about character development. Who do you want to start with? I feel like I have a little bit about Mary that I didn't talk about in the live show. Yeah. Which, I don't know. It's like about her and Steed. So maybe maybe it also be a good transition to Steed, depending on how much stuff about Mary you have. Okay. I I love that. Mary is obviously in this super like great place in her life right now. And what's also really great about it is that she's kind of like the only person in Steve's life right now who he could talk to, that he could talk to someone about to be like, what is it like being in love? Because like she, it's like she knows Steed and there is some affection there of some kind. And she also just has literally no stakes in this game. Mm-hmm. You know, like she's not a pirate. Like she doesn't, she doesn't have, she has no idea who Ed is or anyone else. So like when he asks her that, she can, she can answer him, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. You do totally get the sense, like her reaction when he basically comes out to her, you're like, oh, if you stayed in the same place, like you, the two of you would become like the best of friends and co-parents, which is also really lovely. I know. And it's just, and it, what's really great is that it doesn't, it, it feels so seamless, I think, with her character to go from like, 
I was trying to kill you in the most painless way possible because you're fucking up my life to being like, oh, I guess we're friends now, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's just, it's really nice because it's like, on some level, Steve doesn't deserve that, but it's nice that he has it anyway. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I think it, as hard as Steed is to like for most of this episode, I don't know that, I don't think that any of his motivations are bad. I think he's just like really oblivious and really clueless about the fact that he can have effects on other people. And I don't think that means that he doesn't deserve good things. I guess, I'm sorry, I guess I didn't mean good things as much as I meant like forgiveness from Mary. Specifically. Like specifically. Yeah. Uh, Forgiveness and, I mean, everyone deserves empathy. But I mean, I guess it's sort of like, I think a lot of like, once that scene turns where she's kind of, where they're just kind of like chatting, it's like, she hasn't said, you know, that she forgives him, but this is part of like her forgiving him for being a terrible husband, I think. Yeah. And like his like very terrible actions in the past couple of days at this point. I can see it like flipping a switch for her, like making a lot of things suddenly make sense that then it's like easier to let go of. Yeah. And I also think that as much as she was like ready to kill him just to like get him out of the way, I imagine that her finding her friends and finding Doug also probably in some ways helped her forgive Steed in his absence because she was like, oh, you know, I was ready to buckle down and try because I didn't think that there was an alternative, but it turns out that there was and I'm so much happier now. So like, even though everything about the way he did this was like bad and wrong, I kind of see like what his motivation was because there actually wasn't any trying that was going to get me to the point where I am now, you know? Right. And like, and like, you know, and, and through this, these sort of trials, she's gotten to like really her best life. Yeah. Like she's rich and she has a boyfriend that makes her happy. And she's like a talented, successful artist and she has awesome friends. Like what, what more really could any of us want? (laughs) Right. Exactly. You know? Um, And it's also just good because she's like, you can have this steed. Because even up until this point, like, there's a part of him that thinks that he isn't going to get this or he doesn't deserve it or he's never going to have it. Even though it's like, no, steed, you already did have this. Right, right. Like, you had the friends and you had the life you were living and you had the, like, boyfriend that, like, you were obsessed with and vice versa. Right. And, like, you just needed someone to tell you that that is what was going on. Which I can identify as, as someone who has a hard time being like, what are my feelings doing? Yeah. um yeah no i think that it does make sense to switch over to steed although i feel like i maybe covered most of my steed stuff in the last episode i don't know what else do you have about him here uh i feel like i'm glad that we get to a part in this episode where 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 steed realizes that he is in love with ed beyond just friendship and that Steed himself isn't better off and, like, Ed isn't better off without being together. Yeah. And it's just interesting because, like, we see Steed struggle through this episode to be like, oh, well, I tried this thing and now I'm back in my old life. And it's like, oh, I actually don't fit here at all anymore. And I actually don't want to be here. Which is kind of like one of those situations when you're like, 
you do something and you're like, this is the thing that I want. And then you're like, no, this actually, I want this different thing. And then you realize like, oh no, I was actually right the first time. My initial instincts were correct. Right, right. <laughs> you know? And it's just like, I mean, Steve just keeps getting reminded about all of the things that he left behind and like, you know, gave up. And it's just like, you know, and it just, it just takes him some time to realize that it's like, it isn't, it isn't serving him to have tried to give up his pirate life and Ed for, for fear, essentially, you know? So. Yeah. Should we, should we talk about Ed? We should talk about Ed. (sighs) So starting with Ed, I think, and then moving into the Kraken. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, crying in the blanket for Ed is so like devastating, but so much less devastating than like overcompensating burying his feelings ed it it honestly feels like so healthy like the way that he's mourning at the beginning of the episode like building a blanket for and like eating marmalade with your finger and by candlelight which is not safe but is definitely like exactly how you should break up like that's perfect yeah especially for someone who i don't think has ever had a breakup that they weren't the one like i don't think as ever had a breakup where he wasn't the one instigating the breakup you know mm-hmm. and like he like doesn't really know what to do with his feelings but he has spent enough time with steve and the revenge crew to be like blanket fort marmalade sad lyrics you know The softest of Steed's robes. I mean, I don't think there's ever, like, a context in which this isn't, like, a pretty healthy way to deal with sad feelings, even if it's not about a breakup. That's true. I guess I'm just praising him for, like, you know, I think that his his first instincts about what to do with these, like, feelings, like, his, like, feelings of, like, being hurt and betrayed are, like, are really great, you know? And you're right, like, super healthy. Yeah. And then that's why it sucks so much when, like, He's, like, clearly, like, feeling better. He's, like, cleaning up all the, like, empty bottles. And Izzy comes in to sort of just, like, stomp out the fragile sandcastle of, like, the emotional Ed Teach, you know? Right. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and then we have this Kraken makeover. Which which makes sense because Izzy is basically straight up telling Ed that, like, he doesn't he doesn't want Ed. He wants Blackbeard. And I'm sure part of the feelings that Ed was going through was a little bit like Steed didn't want Ed either. He wanted Blackbeard or else why would he have run like in this time frame where he was trying to embrace Ed and like sort of leave a lot of Blackbeard behind. And so he's already a sort of a like very fragile, like emotional state on top of being someone who already has, I feel like, sort of self-worth issues so of course he like ends up going hard on his protection that is the kraken you know right. his black beard so yeah it doesn't work <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't work it's an excellent example of being like you know sometimes you have trauma res- trauma responses that help you survive a thing and then you try it again you're like oh wow this is not working anymore <laughs> right yeah and this is clearly one of those times where it's like the Kraken helped Ed get through being a pirate and killing his dad, and that's great, but he's trying it again, and it's clearly not working slash gonna work. Right. Yeah, he definitely would have been much better off, like, 
having Roach make him a 40 orange glazed cake to eat in his blanket fort and, you know, watching Netflix, watching Frenchie play him the loot, you know, whatever. Yeah, and throwing fucking Izzy hands in the bricks for in the brig for fucking threatening him like that. And being, yeah. And being a piece of shit. Yeah. Being like, I may be Edward, but I am still the captain of this ship, and I actually say, resume your mutiny, throw this man into the sea. Right? Yeah. Um, and then Izzy would have been like, fuck. <laughs> he yeah. is still Blackbeard. Yeah. <laughs> As he drowned. Good riddance. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But, like, unfortunately, Ed believed Izzy, the things that he was saying. And it's just like, ugh. I know. Um, I would like to briefly talk about Doug. Yeah. Who I, th- I think is wonderful. Like... When Steed is like, no, he's actually wonderful. You're like, he is actually wonderful. Like, pretty, well, what we get from him is pretty, like, milk toast or whatever. But, like, he's obviously, like, a really good artist. He's also super encouraging of Mary and, like, seems actually, like, pretty, like, darkly funny in a way that, like, you only know, notice if you're, like, close with him, too. Yeah. Um... (laughs) Actually, I actually was thinking about this. No, you, you are correct. Doug is really great. Um, there's, and it's just like, it. I'm sure, I get the sense it can be hard to find partners if you're like a single mom who has two kids. But Doug was like, the fact that Lewis is like, isn't Doug my dad? Means that like, he is fulfilling all of the fatherly stuff that even Steed, you know, Lewis's right. biological dad wasn't doing to the yeah. point where it's like, who the fuck are you? <laughs> Yeah. You know, and just like for him to be like, oh, yeah, Mary, you're super talented. Great. Cool. I support you. I'll just hang out with the kid. What a keeper. Good for I her. Know. I know. Yeah, I I think like the thing that makes me feel I, I just think they did like a, a really good job, like creating nuance in the character of Doug because he is so like doofy in a lot of ways where he's like the only thing i hear people talking about is your expressive brushwork i know (laughs) but then we also get like when he meets steed and he's like i've heard so much about you and steed tries to be like all like peacocky or whatever and is like i haven't heard very much about you and then he just like fully ignores him and turns to mary and is like i got your flyers and you know like that's like that is some very confident, like, sexy portrayal of what masculinity can be, is, like, ignoring the bait. Not just not taking the bait, but acting like the bait wasn't even there. Yeah. That's hot. And then I also really love the look that he gives Mary when Steed's like, you're not a widow anymore, you should probably get rid of that. And she's like, I might keep it. And Doug's like, yeah. Like, he's <laughs> like, yeah. Doug would be like, I will totally help you hide this body. Yeah, totally. <laughs> he's he's a good dude. I know. And it's like, you know, if Mary couldn't be with Evelyn, I'm glad that she has a good dude, you know, who is supportive of her and is good to the kids and just, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I know. You wouldn't expect on the show to have, like, a good, like, cis hat dude, but here he is. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, Wow. Um, apparently, uh, so I haven't seen any other things this actor has been in, but apparently he plays like terrible characters a lot. So people are like, 
You're playing just like a nice dude in this. <laughs> so. Interesting. Yeah. He does a great job. I feel like he has bi-wife energy. Doug, uh, not the actor. Yeah. 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 Uh, Doug would definitely be on TikTok hyping up Mary all of the time. And yeah. Welcome to Stark Revelations, where we talk about things that are fucked up, or people that are fucked up. Yeah, wow, this is the... If you thought Izzy Hands was unhinged before this episode, um, including the part where he uh, betrayed everyone to the British so he could somehow get control of Ed, um, it gets even worse, yeah. And I have a lot of thoughts about it. Yeah. All right, so I think in general, my my thesis of Izzy in this episode is that we get the worst of Izzy's homophobia because we see Ed being the softest and most vulnerable to people besides Steed, and this is this is a softer, gayer, faggier Ed. Yeah. And that puts Izzy's queerness into sharper relief just by association. Mm-hmm. And he can't he can't have that at all. So he has to sort of be the catalyst for Ed becoming Blackbeard again. But it's really the catalyst for becoming the Kraken, which is something that like no one, not even Ed, wants to have happened. You know? Izzy, you mean? I mean, Izzy wants Blackbeard. No one wants the Kraken, including Ed. Ed doesn't want to be this either, but he feels like he has to be in order to protect himself. I think, again, like, a lot of credit goes to Con O'Neill for this, but, like, I genuinely feel for Izzy in the beginning of the episode. Like, his distress about... Ed being Ed instead of Blackbeard is genuine. You know, what he does with that distress is, like, inexcusable. But, like, you can tell that he is, like, having a very real, very raw emotional reaction to the situation that he's found himself in. Yeah. Yeah. Ed Ed, uh, Ed is not behaving like the Blackbeard that Izzy fell in love with. Yeah, exactly. And, like, you know, he mentions in episode four how much that Izzy himself deals with Ed's sort of um, mood swings. Um, so, the, And this is clearly, I think, probably the worst sort of low we that Ed has been at in a really long time. And probably definitely the, like, worst, the low, the worst low that Izzy has seen just because of the way that Ed isn't trying to hide as much of it as possible, you know? Right, because it's soft. Like, I don't know if Izzy's ever seen soft sad ed before yeah and i feel like in some ways is he's reacting the way that like kids do the first time they see their parents cry you know it's like wait but you're supposed to be this like beacon of strength you know and then all of a sudden you're not that and now like my whole world is upside down because i don't know like how to process this weakness that I now know exists, even though yeah. expressing your feelings is actually a strength. 
Yeah, and uh, bottling up your feelings, uh, A, fucking sucks, and B, it doesn't work because it'll come out at some point. Um, right, exactly. Yeah, and so, yeah, Izzy, Izzy lashes out hard. I mean, like, he basically calls it a fag derogatorily. As you say, the quote, the excellent quote of a Nambi Pambi in his silk dressing gown pining for his boyfriend is like, that's cold. Like, like, fuck you, Izzy Hands. Yeah. And then just like him twisting the knife by like showing Ed the illustration that like Ed had scoffed out in episode four, that like illustration of Blackbeard with the nine guns. I know. And it's like, that isn't even the mask of Blackbeard you fell in love with, Izzy, but you just like, you just can't handle this like softer gayer ed at like at all and i think that that's like such a good a really good thing that the show does to be like is he's not even in love with like the person blackbeard like his in love with is so zoomed out that it's like the public idea of blackbeard so like you know even even the blackbeard that he was with at the beginning of this show was already not living up to his expectations or like who he was building him up to be in his mind. And now this is like even further removed from that. So like, you know, I think that Izzy literally means like this picture, this is Blackbeard. Like the this concept is the person that I'm expecting you to be. And it's like, he's never been that. Like that's yeah. never happened. Yeah. Yeah, and I feel like, yeah, and probably not even when Ed was younger and doing all of the stuff with Calico Jack, all the, like, ridiculous, toxic, masculine bullshit, like, frat boy stuff that they were doing. It's like that, which is also, again, like a mask, but, like, it was never right. The, like, uh, vampire Viking clown idea of Blackbeard. Right. So... Yeah, should we talk about this like one way under what did you called it under negotiated BDSM something? Yeah, uh this like uh, uh un, I guess unnegotiated uh BDSM relationship that right. Izzy has constructed in his head that is the relationship between the two of them and is clearly not how Ed thinks of the relationship between him and Izzy. <laughs> no. Yeah, and the only way Izzy can get this sort of getting getting his uh masochist kink filled is to like push all of Ed's buttons until he like chokes him out and it's just like Ed does not want to fucking top you Izzy I'm sorry like he does not nope not even a little bit yeah and he doesn't even want to probably even be like choking you out or cutting your toe off either like it's just and, like, I feel like even at this point before Ed resumes being the Kraken, it's like he doesn't necessarily even want to be in control of Izzy in the way that Izzy wants him to be in control either. Right. No, I mean, like, as two separate things, I think that Ed is not a top, just generally. <laughs> no. Um. So, like, that was just, like, never going to be a thing. But then also in terms of like being in charge, just like in life, I feel like in a lot of ways, Ed is a is a captain in the same way that like it was like obviously Olawande is going to be captain. It's like you have the skill set, you know, you have 
the ability to like inspire people to listen to you you're like charismatic and like you're gonna make sure that things get done the way that they want to like i think he probably stumbled into captaining yeah i guess i guess in my brain i sort of imagine it as a very brutal sort of separating the wheat from the chaff because like if you're a bad pirate on a not revenge pirate ship you're probably ending up dead and after a while like you get old enough it's like all right well i'm a competent sailor and pirate now because i'm still alive you know yeah yeah so i mean on top of of course right his natural sort of charisma and creativity um and like all of the other strengths of being neuroatypical (laughs) yeah (sighs) so yeah so and it's sort of like he's the captain because it's probably easier for him in a lot of ways to do what he wants to if he's in charge if he's like the captain but it doesn't necessarily mean he wants to do all the fiddly details that he outsources to to izzy right you know well and like good leaders know what their uh not strengths are whatever the things that they're not good at and are good at delegating so yeah yeah izzy just wants a lot from ed that he like can't have and should not be trying to you should never try to force someone to be who you imagine them to be as opposed to who they actually are yeah and if they're not that person you you don't have yeah there are lol other fish in the sea (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) yeah (sighs) all right do you have anything else in this section the the toe cutting scene is so out of control. Yep. I hate it so much. <laughs> it is it is very it is very gross. And there are safer ways of, of getting your needs met sexually than having <laughs> your boss cut off your toe and make you eat it. So Yep. Yep. Hate it. Hate it. I'm that actually is something that was spoiled for me before I got to that episode. Like I saw a meme about Izzy having his toe cut off. And because there's that conversation in We Go Way Back where Ed is like, you know, here are the things that I used to do for fun. And one of them is like cutting some bloke's toes off and making him eat them for a laugh. Like I was prepared I was like, oh, Izzy gets a toe cut off. Like, I I knew once I... I was more prepared than I might otherwise have been for it to happen, which I'm very glad of. Because, like, nothing about that makes me happy. Yeah. (laughs) I just hate it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, Izzy, I know you're enjoying yourself, but this cannot be what you wanted. (laughs) Or if it is... None of this is safe, sane, and consensual. So please figure your life out. Yeah. No, I mean, I think it clearly is. At least it's filling something that he wanted because he's like so happy the next day when he's like Blackbeard is himself again after Ivan Fang asked him what's wrong with his foot. He's like real into it. But yeah. Um, yeah, no, knife play needs to be safe and involved all appendages staying adhered to the body. Welcome to The Crystals Attract Demons, where we talk about science and history and stuff. All right, I did some internet 
research because, as I mentioned in my intro, and I think in the live show, Mary's paintings are all in like varying different styles, many of which are not invented until 200, 300 plus years in the future, which makes her a visionary. Mm -hmm. But I just wanted to point out some of the style of art and some of the artists that is clearly an inspiration for like her art style. All right, so I want to start off with the lighthouse painting, of course, which it seems like a few folks on the internet have suggested is it really resembles some works of art by this um, 1920s artist, Charles DeMuth. Or I'm actually going to drop this image and specifically the painting My Egypt by Charles DeMuth, which actually is, I believe, a grain elevator for <laughs> that little Hopefully represent that little joke that uh, Ed oh, yeah. wandering. Nice. Mm-hmm. Cool. And then um, in Mary's art studio. I feel like there's some Georgia O'Keeffe in there. Yeah, there's some Georgia O'Keeffe inspired work both there and I think at the gallery, which for folks that don't know, pretty famous lady artist known for her epic flower paintings that just look straight up look like vulvas. Yeah, definitely recommend checking that out. Um, there is a, at, in the background of the art show, there's like a kind of like Picasso sort of angular, you know, female form painting. There's another one that's sort of inspired by the uh, Italian artist uh, Botticelli, who's sort of like one of his famous works is like, three there's like three ladies in the woods i think it's like the three the three graces from like greek mythology and then there is one that i actually another one i had to look up which is the sort of the painting that mary is showing in is showing doug of doug of like the the figure the like naked figure with the lantern mm-hmm. and this is this and this reference is from uh Lefinex on tumblr there'll be a link in the in the show notes where in which the like sort of like the brush stroke, the brush stroke in that like sort of initial image is sort of feels more like sort of like a, a Rembrandt kind of painting. So cool. yeah. So I don't know what art history nerd was like, let me do these works of art for the background for Mary's artistic, you know, for her style, but it's a, uh, it's all over the place and it's awesome. So yeah, it's really, really great. Yeah, I'm just like, good for you. Yeah, a very excellent... It just feels very excellent to have Mary, like, invent 20 different kinds of art styles. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) It's perfect. It's, like, really good character development. I know, I love it. Welcome to Petrified Orange, where we are going to do a lightning round of our deepest hopes, dreams, wishes for season two i want jim to find at least a few more of these dudes that kill their family for them to murder give give jim another whole episode that's really where i'm at cool (laughs) um i really want a binary trans man character probably most people aren't like keeping up on the stats of like representation of varieties of transness in media but uh i think the only less represented than trans 
men like variety of of trans flavors is um assigned male non-binary people and potentially like gender fluid people but like we have a lot a lot like there's not enough trans media even remotely but of the trans media that exists a lot of it most of it is trans women now followed by assigned female non-binary characters which i think means that like people are i think falsely getting an idea of like what non-binariness means and looks like which makes me sad Mm. so i would like to see more kinds of non-binary representation and also would just to like to one time be able to see my gender represented in media that's not in a tragic way (laughs) yeah i agree with this what is your next one um i want the dude who plays the badmintons to just keep coming back um as increasingly more ridiculous members of his family mm-hmm. like i would love for like him to come back as like one of the badminton twins son who's supposed to be yeah. like 19 but it's clearly this 40 something year old actor yeah <laughs> um nothing would make me happier than that yeah <laughs> that's i want that also very badly yeah uh, i think my last one just has to be that i want more evelyn there's so many things that I want, but like more Evelyn is, I I I thirst for more Evelyn. On I know. This I hope show. they bring her back. Let, let her let her be a pirate. God damn I know. it! I, I mean, know. she's living her she's living her best life being a widow with her pet cat. So maybe she doesn't need to be a a pirate. Um, I also really want. I know we mentioned this in the past episode, but. I really want the angst to be resolved in no more than two episodes. Oh, I yeah. don't I don't want to spend five out of ten episodes with angst. And I'm hoping that the fact that this is a romantic comedy means that it's not going to be drawn out because of the comedy part of rom-com. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that reminds me. A thing that I recently decided that I want is... So I was reading an interview with the director of Heartstopper recently, and he was talking about how much care and thought went into shooting the scene where they kiss in the rain and how he and right the the writer of the comics alice oseman had this like long conversation where they were planning it out where they were like tropes are tropes for a reason like it's not tired or like trite to do a kiss in the rain like kisses in the rain appear so often because they're so effective and like it's really important. And if you're going to do it, you need to do it flawlessly. And I was like, A, I love that. B, I feel like Jesse would really love that because I know how much you love tropes. Uh, and C, I'm like, yeah, we need one queer kiss in the rain for every single straight one that exists. And then I was like, I want a reunion scene between Ed and Steed to be an immaculately shot kiss in the rain. Ah, <gasps> oh, be so great. Yeah, actually... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I do love a kiss in the rain trope. And especially because, and this is the thing I think comes up a lot when people are shitting on media by marginalized creatives. It's like, oh, like this happens all the time. And it's like, okay, yeah, if there's 20,000 cishet people kissing in the rain in rom-coms and novels, and there's like three when you have like queer people, for example, then it's like, it's not played out. I, right. I, I, we will let you know when it's played out. Um, so please, I want as many sappy rom-com tropes for queer people and queer people of color 
as we can because there are not there are not very many. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. We did it. Thank you all so much for coming on this journey with us. We will be back whenever season two is all the way out and we've watched it several times and are ready to talk about it with this much depth and nuance and maybe with some special bonus episodes between now and then. Until next time. Farewell, Bonnet's Playthings. Bye.